0: Before we begin the lesson tonight, I'll bring you up to date on some Good News Today uh, news, good news, good news today, bring you greetings from the Geyer Springs uh, congregation in Little Rock, Arkansas. I talked to Brother Washington from that congregation Uh, just this afternoon. We've been kind of playing phone tag, but uh, he had um, learned about the Good News Today program that is now on in Little Rock on Channel 42 saw the program this morning and uh, the congregation there is going to be considering financial support uh, for the uh, program and we had sent out several uh, letters when we had the men's meeting here at White Oak. We told the men we had an opportunity for a hundred dollars a week for a program to cover Little Rock and a great deal of area beyond Little Rock and uh, It was suggested that we forge ahead and that White Oak would take care of it if they had to. We appreciated that confidence so much. But uh, we went ahead with the program taking advantage of the opportunity because they're not always there for a long period of time. The time gets away from you, and they sell that airtime if you don't take advantage of it. And so we uh, did that, and uh, Brother Washington wanted me to send greetings to the congregation, and he's quite enthused about... Uh, soliciting support from sister congregations and from his own congregation to help offset the cost of of that program uh, there. So we would ask for your prayers that, uh, that that would be a successful effort and that we would be able to find that funding because that relieves us to uh, uh, perhaps be able to do some other things if we have that secured. So please remember that situation in your prayers and also um, in Roanoke, uh, Virginia, uh, the Roanoke-Lynchburg uh, market, uh, there's an opportunity there, and the brethren there are um, talking with each other about the possibility of funding that program, and we have an opportunity to get on in that uh, area of Roanoke-Lynchburg, uh, and there will be a preacher's um, meeting tomorrow, and the preacher's going to be discussing it and taking it back to their elderships. and. Uh, One eldership is already considering, two elderships in that area, already considering supporting uh, putting the program on there. And uh, so we also ask for your prayers that that effort would be successful and that we'd be able to add uh, the station in Roanoke-Lynchburg area. So that's um, a brief update on the latest with good news today, and we ask for your uh, prayers in uh, regard uh, to that that we might be able to reach more souls. We've already had one Bible Correspondence Course response from Little Rock, even though we've been on just a short time, from Mabelvale, which is uh, uh, just outside of Little Rock as you head toward Texarkana going out of Little Rock, uh, the Mabelvale area. We have a Correspondence Course student there now, and of course as the program is on longer, we hope to see even more, uh, the more response. So um, we are excited about what is happening, and We cannot express enough our appreciation to the White Oak Church for your very large part in spreading the gospel through this means and through so many other means. And our first edition of House to House, Heart to Heart uh, will be coming out with the May-June edition. And so that's already there to them. It's uh, probably at the printers. And uh, over 4,000 of those will be going out to our immediate uh, community Uh, in the May-June issue of House to House, Heart to Heart. And um, that publication, if you're not familiar with it, looks like it came directly from uh, White Oak. It's a first-class publication that the Brethren in Jacksonville, Alabama, produce, and yet it's done and customized so that all of our information is there. I've written an article that will appear on the back of the uh, of the edition, and uh, it uh, comes to the uh, residents in this area as though uh, White Oak extended again, and of course we are. It's just that we're not having to touch it. Uh, they handle everything and uh, take care of it for us, and yet all the responses, of course, we will get. And uh, Jared mentioned that they had used uh, house-to-house, heart-to-heart in New Orleans at the De Gaulle Drive congregation and had had two conversions directly as a result of house-to-house, heart-to-heart. And um, so uh, we uh, certainly need to keep that outreach in our uh, in our prayers. Something is wrong but the Bible is right continues to go out. We just had 5,000 more something is wrong but the Bible is right tracks printed because we were uh, down to very few copies of that uh, track. Who knows how many souls will ultimately populate heaven as a direct result uh, or indirect result if something's wrong but the Bible is right. You think about how many people Eddie Craft and Wesley Simons have had a part in reaching with the gospel and yet something is wrong, but the Bible is right, was largely responsible for getting Wesley Simons into this building, down this aisle, to obey the gospel of Christ. It had a large part in his conversion, as he himself will tell you. And so, we want the White Oak Congregation to know that your efforts are uh, multifaceted in terms of evangelistic uh, efforts. Uh, They are sound, they are scriptural, and uh, God has blessed and continues to bless uh, the efforts of this congregation and we appreciate your love for the truth and there are individual members of this congregation who even now are involved with Bible studies with individuals and uh, we appreciate that. Jerry Wright's in a study, Seth Harris, our grandson's in in a study and uh, we have a new sister in Christ as we mentioned. Uh, Mary Kay Blue uh, as in a large part to the influence of Tom and Joanne McCormick, and Dallas Jones and his wife were here with us this morning. They were the ones who first introduced Mary Kay to the Lord's Church from Cleveland, Tennessee. They were visiting with us this morning. And uh, there's so many efforts that are underway by so many of the White Oak congregation, and uh, we uh, deeply appreciate and commend you for uh, every effort that you are making, and uh, we all need to continue to pray that the Word of God, will be exalted. And that's what we're studying on Sunday nights in the series from Psalm 119. Uh, No better definition, I think, or description could be given of this uh, longest psalm in the Bible and the longest chapter uh, in the entire Bible, the 119th psalm, because truly it exalts the Word of God. And as we have said, it's an acrostic psalm. Uh, Every Letter of the Hebrew alphabet is treated in the paragraphs, the twenty-two paragraphs, each consisting of eight verses, and each letter of the Hebrew alphabet uh, is uh, dealt with in these uh, in these twenty-two stanzas, stanzas or paragraphs. And uh, in the first one, for instance, which is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, each one of those eight verses in that stanza begins with that first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and so on through every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. We don't know why the Holy Spirit inspired the writer to uh, to structure this psalm the way he did, perhaps for easy memorization, because copies of the scripture were not all that plentiful in former days. Uh, perhaps that was the, the reason. We don't know, don't need to know the reason. What we do need to know is that there is nothing equal to this beautiful psalm in terms of its exalting of the Word of God in verse after verse, in line after line, very few verses in which the Word of God is not mentioned explicitly, and yet with such variation of description that it is not highly repetitive. Only the Holy Spirit could inspire a writer to write in such a way. Now we're ready for the 89th verse of this beautiful psalm, that exalts the Word of God. The eight verses from verse 89 through 96, that's the paragraph at which we will look tonight and study in some detail. And it has been described, these eight verses, as, as a prescription, if you will, for the pain that we at times must endure in this life. Here is the psalmist's prescription for pain. Here is a section that gives strong consolation to those who are suffering at various times from affliction of various sorts. We'll read the eight verses and then come back to them individually. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances, for all are your servants. Unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies. I have seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. As you can see from some of those verses in particular, why it has been described, this stanza as a prescription for pain. Because he says, unless your law, in verse 92, had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. And then down at verse 95, he writes, the wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies. And so the psalmist was under persecution. He was in affliction. We don't know the nature of it specifically, but he affirms as he does time and time again throughout this beautiful psalm that it is the word of God that gets him through. And certainly that's the lesson we need to appreciate is that it's the word of God that will get us through. It is the word of God that will allow us to deal with affliction of any kind to any degree. And how sure is that word? Well, we go back to the beginning of the stanza and we see forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. How reassuring that should be. And what a reminder it should be of those who claim some sort of additional revelation needed other than what has already been given to us upon the pages of Holy Writ. The Word of God is settled. It is settled. It is set. It is settled in heaven. Man cannot alter it. Man cannot change it what heaven has declared and has revealed cannot be changed as i read these words i thought about the words of jesus in matthew 16:18 and 19 verse 19 especially but in matthew 16:18 you remember he said upon this rock i will build my church that is the confession the truth that peter had just uttered you are the christ the son of the living god He said, "...upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it." And then verse 19, "...and I will give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven." Remember, not long ago we studied that verse, and we said those words in the latter part of verse 19 are in the perfect tense. "...whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will already have been loosed in heaven." What Jesus was saying is, whatever you teach and preach as apostles, as my apostles, will be that which has already been decreed or settled in heaven and is revealed to you. You're not going to make it up. It's not going to be of your private interpretation. Peter in 2 Peter 1.21 reminds us that no prophecy of old was, in, was of any private interpretation. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit... What were they moved to speak? That word that was forever settled in heaven. The word of God comes from heaven. That is, by the inspiration of God. That's what inspiration means. Literally, God breathed. And the Holy Spirit has revealed that. Man has no right to add to it, nor to take from it. And in fact, in Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, and in Revelation in the New, Man is reminded not to add to the words which God has revealed. They are settled in heaven. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away, Jesus stated in Matthew 24 at verse 35. Therefore, we can be absolutely certain of that word which has been responsible for our conversion if we have been converted, and we are children of God, Christians tonight, having been born again, what did Peter say about it? Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the what? By the word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. That word is certain. That word is sure. That word is steadfast. That word is forever settled in heaven. As the psalmist penned these words, he penned them, obviously, about the law under which he lived, the law of Moses. But the application is just as true in any dispensation of time. The word of God, the law of Moses that came from God was settled in heaven. Man did not have the right to change it and yet man did and Jesus, as we noted this morning as a part of our lesson, called them what? Hypocrites for so doing. Adding to the word of God and making void the word of God by their traditions. What word was that? The law of Moses which had been forever settled in heaven and yet... Many of the Jews, the Pharisees and scribes, had altered that word, had added to that word, had inserted into that word their own traditions, contrary to the word of God that was already settled in heaven and they were condemned for so doing. Man is still guilty, tragically, of doing that same thing today with the New Testament, the word of God for us today, the law under which we live, which also has been forever settled in heaven. Just as Jesus promised in Matthew sixteen nineteen, Whatever you bind on earth will have already been bound in heaven. You'll just be revealing that. Whatever you loose will have already been loosed in heaven. You'll just be revealing that. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And so how reassuring the psalmist is here as he reminds us that the Word of God is just that, the Word of God. And that it is once for all delivered to the saints, as Jude declared in Jude 3. And that new covenant is the covenant to which we are amenable and for which we will be ultimately accountable as we stand before the judge of all the earth. And then the psalmist reminds us that the faithfulness of the Lord endures to all generations. To all generations. The God of heaven doesn't change. That is, his nature is consistent. His faithfulness is consistent to all generations. You can depend upon him. You can depend upon the faithfulness of God. You can depend upon the promises of God. Man may fail and does often fail to fulfill his promises. God will not. God's faithfulness endures to all generations. And then he adds, you establish the earth and it abides. Isn't that an indication? Isn't that an illustration? Isn't that a demonstration of the fact that the faithfulness of God is consistent? Just as we go from season to season, just as the earth which God established through Jesus Christ, created all things through him, it abides. It continues. And it should convince it should convince the unbeliever. It should convince anyone who's honest in his or her assessment that there must be something other than blind chance that has been responsible for the beautiful design that we see every day all around us in this universe. How does one explain the fact that this earth upon which we live, hangs upon nothing. Job described it in Job 26.7, didn't he? He hangs, the he stretches out the north over empty space, the empty space, and hangs the earth upon nothing. Job 26.7. How did Job know that the earth hangs upon nothing? That's one of those statements that we call scientific foreknowledge. Because Man, as we've mentioned before, had such highly scientific ideas long after Job, such as the earth is supported on four columns or five columns, four, and then one in the center, I believe, that was the theory. And those columns rest on the back of a giant turtle who is swimming in a shoreless ocean. And they don't bother to explain what supports the shoreless ocean. But supposedly the turtle supports the columns that support the earth. That was a theory. That was a theory. Long after Job penned the words, or the writer of Job penned the words, and hangs the earth upon nothing. I was noticing a statement in one of the articles by the late in Woods in a very excellent book that was edited by Brother Johnny Skaggs. A compilation of the late Brother Woods' articles the book is called The Essence of Guy in Woods. And in one of his articles, Brother Woods, as he talks about astronomy and the Bible, he mentioned that a very renowned scientist was one asked, once asked, what holds the earth in place? And the scientist responded, it is gravity that holds the earth in place. And the next question was, what is gravity? And the scientist answered, it is that which holds the earth in place. That's called circular reasoning. (laughs) And yet that's about the best man can do. But God can do better and has done better in describing it. Listen to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 who, speaking of Christ, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. That's what holds the earth in place. The word of his power. Colossians 1.17 says, In him all things consist. All things are continuing because of the word of his power. The word that brought things into existence is the same word that keeps things in existence, and it's the same word that will take all things out of existence. Indeed, He established the earth, and it abides. It abides. And then He goes on. They continue this day according to your ordinances, for all are your servants. All of creation is described as being the servants of Almighty God. Look at Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 26. Along these same lines that the psalmist expresses here. Lift up your eyes on high, Isaiah writes, and see who has created these things who brings out their host by number, he calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Not one is missing. Again, reading from that same book I mentioned a few moments ago, Brother Wood said something to the effect that it's amazing that any astronomer would be an atheist as the astronomers are able to see the vastness and the power of the universe to a great extent that God has created. How could you not be impressed with that kind of power, that vast creative power? And he mentions another illustration, a French infidel, he noted. A French infidel once said to a peasant, We will pull down your churches, destroy your pictures, and demolish everything that reminds you of God. And the peasant replied, But you will leave us the stars. You will leave us the stars. Can't take those away from us. And that should remind us of the presence of God. And indeed, it should. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day under day utter speech and night under night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language in which their voice is not heard. The psalmist elsewhere writes, for all are your servants. And then in the next statement we see something of the Prescription for pain that we mentioned earlier. Unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. And that simply reminds us that the word of God can help us through whatever affliction comes our way. It can prepare us for it. It can help us through it. It can enable us to look back upon it and see that we are better for having endured it. You see, the atheist and the agnostic, they don't have that solution. They don't have that answer. They don't have that prescription for pain. In the debate Friday night, that was the dilemma that the agnostic was faced with. I don't have an answer, in effect, he said, to suffering. And anyone who seeks to give a simple answer in 20 seconds or less, as he said... You obviously don't understand the complexity of suffering. Tragically, it is he who does not understand. It is he who does not understand what the psalmist here expresses and what the Word of God tells us time and time again. And that is that by turning to His law, to His Word, we can keep from perishing in affliction. And we can understand And we can go on. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I could not help but be reminded of John chapter 6 when I read these words. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. You remember that sixth chapter of John where... One of the great I am's was set forth by Jesus, I am the bread of life, the bread from heaven. And at verse 63 in particular, he says something that is very, very similar to what the psalmist mentions here. It is the spirit who gives life, Jesus says. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Isn't that what the psalmist recognizes here? You have given me life by what? By your precepts. By your precepts. The words that I speak, Jesus said, they are spirit and they are life. What kind of life? Spiritual life. And that leads us to the next thought. I am yours, the psalmist declares. Save me for I have sought your precepts. Who is it that can cry to God for salvation through a prayer? It is not the alien sinner. It is not the alien sinner who can cry to God for salvation, though that's the dominant teaching in the religious world tonight, isn't it? That the alien sinner needs to cry to God for salvation through the sinner's prayer. But that's not what Scripture teaches. David is in covenant relationship, if David be the author of this psalm, and he's saying, I am yours, save me. Save me because I am yours. I have the blessed privilege of calling upon you to save me because I am living in covenant relationship with you. That's what he is saying. And then he gives us the basis for that covenant relationship that he enjoyed. What is it? For I have sought your Precepts. Who is it tonight that can call upon God as you pillow your head and know that He's heard every word and that He will answer in accordance with His will and in accordance with what is truly best for you? Who can pillow His head or her head in peace tonight with that blessed privilege of prayer? The one who has sought His precepts through the new covenant in becoming a child of His, in becoming a Christian. Because it is that person and that person alone who can say with confidence I am yours save me now I lay me down to sleep I pray the Lord my soul to keep as the little children were often taught to pray if I should die before I wake I pray the Lord my soul to take who has that confidence well the innocent little child does who's never known sin obviously But the child of God who has known sin but has known the redemption from sin through Christ can also pray that prayer with confidence. I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me but I will consider your testimonies. No matter who the enemy is, no matter how desperate the situation I will always pay attention, I will always consider, I will always strive to keep your word, your testimonies. And then in the final verse, the psalmist says, I have seen the consummation, as the New King James renders it. Many uh, translations put the end or the limit and that's the idea. I have seen the consummation or the end or the limitations, if you will, of all perfection. Despite everything in this world that we view to be perfect or whole or complete, it still has limits. Everything earthly has its limits. I've seen the end or the limits, the consummation of all perfection, but here's something that does not have limit. Here's something that That is limitless in terms of its power and its application. Your commandment is exceedingly broad. And as I thought about that statement from the psalmist, I could not help but think about the relevance in every age to every generation For as long as time stands, regardless of cultural differences, regardless of technological advancement, regardless of any kind of change that comes in this world, what is it that will always be pertinent, that will always be relevant, that will never be outdated? The Word of God. I know there are those who claim that it's outdated, but it's not. No, it's not. And if you're honest and fair with the Word of God, you know it is not outdated. Never has been, is not now, and never will be. It has the capability, because it is inspired of God, of dealing with every circumstance in every age for as long as time stands. Because God designed it that way. And the psalmist recognizes it here. Your commandment is exceedingly broad. It can address any situation In any time, regardless of the culture, regardless of the society, regardless of the advancements, regardless of anything, of an earthly nature or any change that may come, the Word of God does not change. And the Word of God speaks to every generation and is relevant to all. Your Word, O Lord, is settled forever. And it's relevant forever. And what it tells you to do to become a Christian if you're not a Christian tonight has not changed since the new covenant came into existence and it will never change as long as time stands because this is the final covenant, the new covenant, the new testament of Christ. You must believe with all of your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. You must repent of your sins, confess him to be the Christ and be buried with him in baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Believe that I am he or die in your sins, John eight twenty four. Repent or perish, Luke thirteen, three. Confess me and I'll confess you before the Father, Matthew ten thirty two, and he who believes and is baptized will be saved, Jesus said, Mark sixteen, sixteen. For the one who has done those things but has not lived faithfully, and that unfaithfulness is known publicly, your restoration needs to be as public as you come home to your first love in repentance and confession of sin to say, I have sinned. Pray with me and for me to the God of heaven who will forgive. That command, the second law of pardon, as it's often called for the wayward child of God, will never change for as long as time stands. And we plead with you to obey the commandments of God in becoming a Christian if you have not or to come home to your first love. If that's your need tonight, as we stand to sing, will you come?